Adam Cravens, and Jane Ellen watch more movies each month than most people do in a year. Parental Guidance suggested reviews new movies in theaters with no spoilers promise. These film nerds know their stuff. Hello and welcome to Parental Guidance Suggested. I'm Jane Ellen. And I'm Adam Cravens. And because of all this no movies in theater thing, we have been focusing on movies worth watching. And I, if I was a college student, I would write like a thesis on this and I would compare and contrast these two movies because they have a connection and I think I could get away with it. You know, I know you're saying that in a mocking tone, <laughs> but I had several film classes and I've, I've actually done the thing that you I said. I know. Uh, but I don't think you've done it with these two films. Oh, probably not, no. But, and these two films, you see, one of them I had not seen until today. I had wanted to see it, and then it was like, well, what happened to it? And then I forgot it existed, and so on and so forth. The main movie we're discussing is whenever someone says, what's your favorite movie? I always come back to this one because I can watch it endlessly and always be entertained. And I always know... It's a good movie, and it's singing in the rain. It It is. It's kind of a fantastic film. It really is. Now, I, and I don't want to bury your lead, but what is the, what's the other film then? The Coen Brothers, Hail Caesar. Okay. All right. Well, I can at least see that, that through line there. Yes. I would, I would say the Coen Brothers is probably a little bit more cynical. Slightly, but it is remarkably similar. Yeah. Well, I mean, and they're they're also kind of covering that same yes. era of Hollywood. And what is wonderful about both movies is they're in in um, Singing in the Rain. They're covering movies going to talkies. So it takes place in 1927, 1928, when in reality it was filmed in the 50s. In reality, Little Caesar was Little Caesar. His makes That's pizza. a very different film. <laughs> Hail Caesar was filmed in the past what five years, yeah. but it it's more about movies in the fifties ish. Well, and I mean, you could also argue that both of the leads, uh, one of them played Han Solo. Yes. And honestly, if you were going to go back in time to and make Star Wars in that era. I could definitely see Gene Kelly. Oh, for sure. A, I mean, like I said, if you make it during like the, the, the 50s, 60s, I think he can definitely pull that off. Like, Absolutely. Granted, him and Chewbacca now become like this tap dancing like, I would still love like it. duo. But I'm, I'm going to say I'd watch the musical adaptation of Star Wars from the 50s that doesn't exist. But I'm sure someone's written it. If not, they're starting on it now. I, I really hope that I inspired someone to do that because I'm, <laughs> I'm in, kids. I'm in. Now, Adam and I know a little bit about film history. And one of the reasons that Singing in the Rain is so fabulous is it has so many nods to what was really happening. Now, it's not telling a true story, but it is a representation of a lot of things. And a lot of the characters are... Bits and pieces of other actual people, but it's not like a true story. But the true story is you had I mean, silent that, film that stars. That did happen. Yeah. Like that part of it happened. Like Silent film stars were great. Only a lot of them could not be understood or had horrible voices. And so when they went to talkies, there was a problem. Well, I mean, it's not unlike when you, okay, at one point, like every other film was either a musical 
or a Western. Mm-hmm. Like, if you'll go back to, like, the 50s, like, especially, like, on television, um, everything's a Western. You have Westerns coming out in the theater. Musicals. Like, you get to the 80s and 90s, and, I mean, unless you're an animated Disney film, you're probably not a musical. Mm-hmm. And if you can name me more than three Westerns, uh, they don't even have to be good. If you can name me three Westerns from the 80s and the 90s, like wow, T- Tombstone, um, Wyatt Earp. Silverado. I think we got it them all. Okay. I mean, that legitimately, there's just not, oh, Unforgiven. All right, there's four. Oh, yeah. There I was going to say, I'm, I'm leaving out one, and it was that one. So, Singing in the Rain came out in 1952, and the music, there was music written for the show, but it also had music that was already written. And so that made it different. I don't think that had been done a lot in that time period. And what it shows is the way studios operated, and that is what Hail Caesar also shows. You were signed to a studio. And like, where, where is in today, like you can kind of pick your, mm-hmm. your film, like you look at the script, it, it would be like, if somebody was like, okay, you work for 20th century Fox. Mm-hmm. That's the only place, like the films that you make have to be, have to be underneath right. this room. Or if you worked for, for Disney or something like that, that's the way they did it. But I, the, the studio system was a very... I guess, different beasts than the Mm -hmm. way that we look at it now. I mean, now if you have children of a certain age, they have to have so many hours of tutoring on set. Yeah, not so much in the studio system. You had school, but they told you what to wear. They told you how to wear your hair. They did the fake dates. They taught you your whole life was the studio, and you owed your allegiance to the studio. It's kind of like Scientology now. Yeah. There you go. Nicely put. It's like Tom Cruise was essentially in the studio system in in the 90s and early early 2000s. Yeah. Now, what makes it so, so glorious is uh, the music, everything. It is the perfect musical about movies, I I would have to say. It represents just the, the beauty of everything that a musical can be. I am not I'm not a diehard musical fan. Like it like there's some like science fiction's a genre that like I'm probably going to be interested in at least the concept if you tell mm-hmm. it to me. I might not love every film, but like science fiction is a genre that I gravitate toward. Right. Musicals I don't necessarily gravitate toward. Mm-hmm. And this was a film that I found and despite the fact that it's not really a genre that constantly speaks to me, I found myself just enjoying it immensely Mm -hmm. it has the status as the greatest film ever made in the freed unit at mgm and uh, alan freed once you've seen those mgm musicals you can kind of spot them it's like you can you know it's Jimi hendrix playing guitar once you hear it you can spot an mgm musical they look very they're happy yeah they're just happy and i I I love musicals. It's probably because I started taking dance when I was three, and and my teacher was a rockette from Radio City Musical. She was a New York City rockette, and she played the songs that were in musicals. 
And so that's probably why I was so interested in watching all these tap dancing musicals. And I, I have musicals that I don't watch a lot because they're what I call the sad musicals. And I don't like my musicals to be sad. <laughs> I like a big, happy musical. So, so when you got to the end of Moulin Rouge, you weren't just like, I, I don't need to revisit this. <laughs> uh, the sad musicals for me that, that I first think of are South Pacific and West Side Story. Those are the sad musicals. There are others. Side note, after the pandemic has been over... You know what Steven Spielberg's next movie is supposed to be, right? I do not. Jaws West, the musical? West Side Story. Really? Yeah. Like has, the musical or just the has, story? He has said for, I don't know, 30 years that like he wants to branch out. Like dude can make a, a movie about dinosaurs mm -hmm. or like monsters chasing people Are they with in his eyes shut. No, but I'd, I'd absolutely watch Jurassic Park the musical. <laughs> I mean, I've seen a dancing frog. Tap dancing frog. dinosaurs. Like, I'm, I, I'm in. But I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's what he's doing with it. Um, I believe it is still supposed to be a musical. Um, I, I haven't read up on it too much, but like that is his next film tentatively, like once all of this is gone. Now, oddly enough, my eldest, Anna Grace, West Side Story is one of her favorite musicals. However, she only really likes the opening number, When You're a Jet. Oh, it's the Adam Shanley, but you know, when you're a jet, you're a jet all your when life. When you're a jet. <laughs> when you're a jet. <laughs> uh, she doesn't really stay with the whole movie because, you know, it's a sad musical. So, so many interesting stories well, involving I mean, singing in the rain. If you th the, the way musicals are set up, it's about, like, depending on your musical, 10 to 12 songs. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's basically an album. So I can see she just likes the one song. Like she yeah. would have bought that as a single yes. if it had have been an album. Like, yes. And there's, there are some that are just like so toe-tappingly wonderful mm -hmm. that you can't help it. But the rest of them, you're just like, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, that's... Let's take Cats, for instance, please. Let's not. Um, Anna Grace and I tried to watch Cats, the musical. It was just a, a film adaptation. Of, it was just the filming of a like a Broadway show. It right. was not the movie Cats that came out in the past few months. And I knew it was a story about cats, and I knew the word Jellico, and I know some people loved it. And I know when I was in New York City in the 80s, they, it was all over Broadway, and there was one amazing song. Well, again, And that's really all there is. You need, you need one, one good single off an it's album back in the day would sell millions of copies. And I guess in the, the same way... Everybody, especially if you're a Broadway film that has mm -hmm. not been adapted, or you're a Broadway play that has not been adapted into a film yet, there's a finite amount of people. Like, okay, there's a there's a Spider-Man musical, mm -hmm. Turn Off the Dark, I think is the the name of. I, I don't, I'm not sure why it's called that. That doesn't seem Turn grammatically. Turn off the dark. Turn off the dark. Okay. Right? Um, I've never Didn't seen it, it. Fail horribly. But yeah, it was very expensive. Close effort. But I'm saying like, they're, they're, it's hypothetically. The, the songs are really good in that. But even as a fan of Spider-Man, mm -hmm. I've never seen that music. Like, you have a very limited run there. And at best, in most of those cases, because they obviously they don't want to film the stage productions of mm -hmm. it. Because once I've seen it, why am I going to pay $47 to watch a right. live production of it? By the so, way, have you seen Beetlejuice, the musical? No, but I desperately... Uh, I think you would love it. I've seen so many pieces of it. As much as I love just 
Beetlejuice. And Telling keep you. in mind, like, this was re- released in, what, 87? Mm-hmm. So, like, there was also a cartoon series that was based around it that I also... Do- there was a Nintendo game. Like... I was way into Beetlejuice. I'm telling you, you would enjoy the musical. So, the story of Singing in the Rain is that you have, first of all, this this famous blonde bombshell silent movie star who is clearly a jerk. Oh, she's she's obnoxious. Yes. Like, just, as the film unfolds, you just find out how much more obnoxious... And what a just a genuinely terrible person she is. Yes. And you have the the young star, which is thirty five year old Gene Kelly. The young <laughs> the young star. The young star. And he just happens to find himself in the right place at the right time. And really, they, he just he falls backwards yeah. into it like there's even this great little bit near the beginning of the film where he talks about uh, they're interviewing him on like the red carpet or something, mm-hmm. and they're like, "I've always dignity, always, always dignity. dignity." And then it goes through and shows all of these things he did to get where he did, and like it, it's it's very much that I very tongue in cheek ironic mm-hmm. dignity. Like he's he's doing everything but like anything that's dignified to make sure that he's making ends meet. Hmm. So um, the the horrible person is played by Gene Hagen, who was doing an impression of Judy Holliday in Born Yesterday. And I do believe that's the one where, um, isn't that the one where she like gets it in the face with a grapefruit? That sound, sounds... I, I, may, I may be anyway, mixing my, my film. Anyway, she, yes. was, uh, she was Judy Holliday's understudy. So she was doing a very specific impersonation of sorts. And the thing with Gene Hagen is she... She was just off of a very famous drama called The Asphalt Jungle. She was a dramatic actress. So they didn't just hire someone to be funny. She played it straight, and she was amazing. She was even nominated for an Oscar, which unfortunately she didn't win. But she was amazing as the horrible person. Well, if you will, if you will look back at, like, I mean, even a couple of, like, say, uh, the, the, the original uh, 1989 Batman, you cast Jack Nicholson in a comic book movie. Mm-hmm. I would not, like, I you would not associate that actor with comic book films at that time. But casting him in that, like, the villain is very often, like, the scene-chewing role. And, like, mm-hmm. it turned out, like, the, the 1989 Batman did hundreds of millions of dollars worth that based on the success of casting a very dramatic Jack Nicholson in a role that really kind of let him flex some comedic muscle mm-hmm. and really just let him see you. And I'd say that was probably very similar to the idea that they had there. Like, right. you don't want her to necessarily be dramatic, and she can be a little bit hyperbolic at times mm-hmm. in there, but you kind of, you need an actor that knows when to rein it in a little um, and, and when to just kind of go, all right, this is uh, this is where we turn it up to 12, guys. All right. So... If you're unfamiliar with Gene Kelly's dancing style, he and Fred Astaire, with whom he is often spoken of at the same time, they're both perfectionists, as is obvious if you see anything they do. So let's imagine uh, who's a, a perfectionist of today. Who can you name as a perfectionist of today? I Well, if he was still alive, probably Kubrick. Like, 
Yes. I mean, just if you will, if, if you've never listened to any commentaries or books about it, like essentially sometimes they basically the actors that worked with him, some of them would describe it as torturous. Yes, that's perfect because the female other lead is Debbie Reynolds in her first big, big screen breakout starring role. Now, Debbie Reynolds had done some little parts. She had, you know, won some Miss whatever. She's cute. She can sing. And, well, she could dance a little, but she certainly could not dance at At the the pace of Donald Connor and Gene Kelly. And you can listen to the Singing in Rain commentary, and I just, I wish... I, I appreciate that Debbie Reynolds does not want to, did not want to just besmirch any memories of the movie, but she has let it be known that it was torture for her. I can imagine that's because prob- she was nineteen. That's probably what it was like, say, in the late nineties, playing for the Chicago Bulls, and you were supposed to play with Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan. Like, you probably just felt inadequate, and like, even if you were great, mm-hmm. you weren't on their level. Yes. And it, it probably marred it because no even like even if you had the game of your life, just nothing ever topped it. You still played against right. my, Jordan and Pippen and everybody that's where their focus was. And Debbie Reynolds nailed it. I mean, if you've watched let's say the the she, good morning number of the three of them, do you go, "Oh, well, two of them are really good, but this one's kind of no. There really is not what I would describe as a weak link. No. Amongst that, like, granted, I think you are right about, like, she is not on the level that the two of them are, like, dancing-wise. But at no point in the film are you ever just like, wow, she really laid down. Oh, no. Jeez, what's she going on here? Extraordinary. But because she didn't have a lovely time filming it, she didn't really talk that much about it. And so I did get it with the commentary, and she had done the commentary, and, you know, it was okay. She might have said a few other things I didn't know, but it, it really wasn't the kind she, of commentary I wanted to hear. She fared a lot better than, say, Keanu Reeves did when he did Bram Stoker's Dracula with Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. But, I mean, the issue there is really anybody that acts opposite Gary Oldman is probably going to have a hairy, a hard time, mm-hmm. like, not... I mean. In the Harry Potter films, like I, any you've got basically the British royalty of performances there, and I'm just sitting there going, I do not want to go. I would not want to, even if I'm like, it's the if I am any of those actors, I'm not wanting to try to go toe to toe with Gary Oldman. Like I've seen him at his best, I've seen him at his worst, and his worst probably probably better than a lot of people's best. Mm-hmm. So the story is she meets. Um... Don Lockwood of Lockwood and Lamond, and he thinks she is cute, and she pretends not to know him, and then she throws a pie at him, and it hits Lena Lamont in the face, who then has her barred from the set because she had picked up a, a minor dancing role, and then he finds her, brings her back, and realizes that as they go to talkies, she can sing, and she has a lovely voice, and she can replace the voice of his co-star. If if this doesn't make complete sense to you, if you've seen The Little Mermaid, do you remember what Ursula does with Ariel's voice at the end of the movie? Basically that. 
Yes. Now, here's what's always blew my mind. There is one song. Now, Debbie Reynolds can sing. No problem True. there. Yes. There's one song in there, and uh, it, it's when she goes to dub it. She's, you see her going to dub in the studio this, this ballad from the, the movie that they're redoing, The Dancing Cavalier. Yes. That's not Debbie Reynolds singing. And that's not Debbie Reynolds saying the one line. And I, it, stuck, it stuck out at me when I was a kid watching it, and then I read more and more about it. I don't know why they replaced her for that. But she sang everything else. I, at that point, like, it, it really was just a straight... Keep in mind, this is also the system that said that Judy Garland shouldn't be singing in the barnyard and they needed to cut out somewhere over the rainbow because it was undignified mm -hmm. for an MGM starlet to be seen singing in a barnyard. Like, mo mo probably the most memorable song. Like, yeah. people are still singing it to this day, but it was undignified. Like, I, I don't think you necessarily thought of the way that it affected the actor. The studio really kind of got to do... What whatever it, they it, want. It had a blank check check to do whatever, and she probably in all likelihood she probably recorded it, and they were just like, "Eh, eh we've got this other one on contract. We're just gonna let we're gonna let her just for this one song for this just just this one." Uh, it made no sense. To they, me. They're not gonna Google it. Google it doesn't exist yet. Exactly, and you also have Donald O'Connor who had a similar background to Gene Kelly coming up through the entertainment world, and he. He does some extraordinary work in the song Make Him Laugh, Laugh. Holy which cow. is, by the way, the exact same song, Be a Clown, from The Pirate. Like, and no one sued anyone over it because they're like, eh, go ahead. The exact song. The it, same it's the exact maybe, song. Maybe, maybe it was because it was so much fun. Yeah. They're just like, ah, <laughs> I mean, I, you could definitely, we could sue you here, but... So it you just can, makes me giggly. You can watch Singing in the Rain just as a movie to be entertained by. And then you can watch it again and notice how it's not edited like an MTV video. How they did these things in like three and four minutes at a time. Oh yeah. Like when he's doing make him laugh, like uh -huh. I think there's a there's a cut when he goes through the wall, maybe. Yeah. And, but I mean like when he's doing these backflips and he's like doing these rolls and everything, like it's it's this is not Michael Bay editing no. right here. Like every fifteen or ten seconds, you're not getting a cutaway. Like they are legitimately doing this basically like it's a stage production. Like mm -hmm. you're getting a one shot, they're moving the camera around reasonably dynamically but like you're not get, they're like ah oh, that tumble didn't work let's do that one again like what you're probably doing is like okay no start it from the top let's yeah let's start that entire routine over uh, i i want to say i know ginger rogers has said it and i'm sure debbie reynolds did as well but in shooting they would dance so much their feet would bleed because you're just going to do it again and then you're going to do it again and then you're going to do it again it was kind of the cgi of today like there there was a lot like musicals essentially i mean they exist now but like they don't exist like they did there mm -mm. and like, the editing styles don't exist no just sad well i it's there's a lot of actors and actresses that could not no take, they couldn't they could not take the scrutiny of a four minute like cut and yet when someone let's say justin timberlake i believe he can dance for four minutes straight 
I would like. I don't know that he necessarily has the acting chops of a gene. And I, I don't dislike Justin Timberlake. Um, but like legit, like that guy would be well suited for like mm-hmm. a musical. Like, and I, I, this is probably the first time anybody his work in Trolls tells <laughs> me at least like the the guy knows how to karaoke proper. And like he he's does. not dancing in that. But like I would say his time as like a Disney. Or Mickey and he Mouse was in Club. NSYNC. Um, they yeah, did well, concert yeah. tours. I mean, for, for a number of years. Yes. So, And I'm not saying that I ever went to one of them. But, but I you do, wanted to. But I do. No, I went. Uh, and I know that Justin Timberlake can dance. Yes. So there's that. You can, even if you don't like musicals. For anyone who tells me they don't like musicals, I always go to, have you seen Singing in the Rain? I mean, in in the same way that you and I mentioned the other week about if Star Trek Two doesn't win you over, like you're not gonna like any of the rest of them. Right. If you've never watched a musical or you've never watched a musical that you enjoyed, start with Singing in the Rain. If you don't like Singing in the Rain, there's a really good chance that musicals just are not for you. Mm-hmm. Like there's some musicals that you really kind of have to deep dive into, and that they're really only. Their their fans are really only the people that are deeply into that that genre. Singing singing in the rain, like my kids like, and they're they're not deep cuts musicals fan. Like they don't really even like Disney animated musicals that much. Mm-hmm. But like singing in the rain, we have shown them, and they do enjoy that movie. And just be, a, I, I think you had said it like, or it, it, it's it's infectious. It's yes, happy. Like it, I always leave it happy. Always. I mean, I could go into it like, oh, I'm really bummed. It is It is a, a salve to the soul. If if, they're, if Good Morning does not make you, at, if it doesn't turn your, your, your frown just up a little, if you've got one, like, you're not listening to the song. I believe I've even told some of the story to my children who, you know, when you're a kid and you don't feel well, you don't want to do stuff. And so you might have to say, hey, you know how we just saw Singing in the Rain and you saw Gene Kelly dancing in the rain? He had the flu and was running a fever of 103. Did you see him mess up? No. He went and did it. And speaking of another great number in that movie, like the the actual bit where he is singing in in the the rain. rain in the film Singing in the Rain it's spectacular, and like I defy you not to enjoy that mm-hmm. number. Like just yeah. splashing around, like dancing with the umbrella, twisting on like the light. Like it's just so much fun. I have goosebumps. I love it. I love this film. I love that it's bright and happy. I love that it's funny. I love hearing Jeannie Hagen say, "I ain't people." I love that. I still say that. I ain't people runs through my head all the time. It's like musicals often are not as quotable as they are like singable, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yes. But this film even has a, I mean, the, the first thing that I think I mentioned about it was the dignity. Always yes. like there are even some lines that will stick with you. Like it's just, it's a well-performed film outside of the fact that they're giving like very, very elaborate dance numbers or some some honestly just genuinely infectious singing like mm-hmm. within the context of the film. And there 
it is interesting that there's a line of truth running through it where you'd have someone who was in the chorus and that they got bumped up and you would have all these sound stages going on all at the same time back in the day in the studio system, which is just fascinating to me because movies aren't made like that anymore. Well, I mean, uh, you, you've got, and I don't know if a lot of people realize this, like the same guy that directed Gone with the Wind was also almost simultaneously directing Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Like you have a lot of shakeups of directors yes. and like it was, what was Wizard of Oz? Like three or $4 million, which doesn't sound like anything now. Sounds but keep like in mind, keep in mind, this was like 1938 when they're shooting it. You th- basically, they're just like there's one guy that can handle productions of this size, but he's working on Gone mm-hmm. with the Wind. So they they just start shifting people around, and once he's done there, because there's another director that's fired from Gone with the Wind because mm-hmm. they're like we're not getting what we need out of this, like. You have people shift. Can you imagine somebody directing nearly simultaneously two films like that today? I mean, I think the closest anybody came was maybe with the year that Spielberg did Minority Report and Catch Me If You Can. Mm -hmm. But like, I mean, that's not even I would not call those films classics on the level that say Gone with the Wind and Singing in the Rain and Singing in the Rain are. Yeah. So. Singing in the Rain is, it's delightful, it's lovely, it's delicious. That song is not in Singing in the Rain. And it, it, is, it is so extraordinary that I cannot even describe it. Plus, there is a dance number by Sid Charisse, who has the most amazing legs of any creature that has ever walked this earth. And Sid Charisse does not speak in the role. She just does a dream sequence with the Gene Kelly character. And every section of it is perfect. So, Singing in the Rain. Is that the one with the, the flowing, like, yes, is, are yes. they scarves or what, whatever like the flowing are. white dress scarf. And, you know, she's with the mobster flipping the coin and the whole thing. It It's very almost esoteric that mm-hmm. it, because it, it doesn't fit like whenever they're singing good morning, that makes sense within the context of the scene. But literally this just kind of seems to pop. I think Gene Kelly had an idea for a dance number and he's just like, and this is how, this is what happens. And they're like, where do we put that in this movie? And he's like, Gene Kelly, we're going to put it here. That's right. And that's, you can also tie this in with an American in Paris that has a, a ballet and I'm not going to say this thing with Sid Charisse is a ballet, but it is similar to the ballet piece in the middle of An American in Paris, which, by the way, did win for Best Picture. But much like Return of the King, we all know that Oscar was for Singing in the Rain, I, which was up for it, but didn't get it. Though, to be fair, it, like that film is also an entertain- Like, Oh, yeah. Gene, if you want a, a solid musical, Gene Kelly is really a good barometer for that mm-hmm. like i saw another one it's a when i was a kid it was a i don't i don't think the, the name town? of it was jack and the beanstalk like there's another one oh, that oh was the my, one with the mouse yeah i can't yeah. i can't i don't think it was called jack and the bean it's probably or the one with the mouse um but, but that was a that was huge my, thing that was my introduction to gene kelly and i'm just like this is this is neat yeah gene kelly dancing with jerry from tom and jerry yeah and that was, you know, mind-blowing at the time. 
I mean, it's, Who Framed Roger Rabbit doesn't exist like mm-hmm. at this point. Like you, you don't have you don't see that readily on, and to have a a human interact with or even what was it, Paula Abdul and Scat Cat? Yes, was that, that the other? That one? was okay. the next one. Yeah, um, that was because of the Gene Kelly. Um, but I mean, essentially, you have this human. It's funny that you know his name, Scat. Interacting. Cat. Listen, I am a, <laughs> I I am a worthless <laughs> of trivial pursuit. Um, yeah. Information, and that's the reason why people want me on their team because I know things like Scat Cat. Scat Cat. So, again, not just because it's a great movie, but because I realize at this time, through quarantines and shutdowns, and oh, I don't know. Four weeks without unemployment? (laughs) Anyway, uh, it gets funnier when you say it out loud. Singing in the Rain is what you need right now. If you've seen it once, you should watch it again. And if you've never seen it, you need to see it. You need to. I don't know if you and I set out to do this, but we seem to be hitting, like, the best of their respect. Like, we've done Jaws. We've done The Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. We've done Ghostbusters. We've done singing in there. We really just seem to be kind of going through right now and just being like, all right, this is the, if you, if you can only pick one of these films in this genre. Mm-hmm. It's this, this one. It's probably the one you should. Yeah. And we, yeah, we'll, pretty much. we'll reference other films within it, but we're just sitting there going like, seriously, somebody sticks a gun to your head or you get stuck on a desert island and you can only have one of these for some reason. You have a DVD player, mm-hmm. but you only have a finite amount of DVDs or Blu-rays or whatever. Um, this is the one you pick. And here's the thing you need to remember if you've stayed with us this long. Adam had no idea we we're going to talk about Singing in the Rain. You would. Now, sometimes I'm sure if you listen to the way we pontificate, <laughs> you might assume that we've been researching these heavily since the last time we recorded. No. no, in a lot of these cases, I am. I literally find out about the time that all of you do. Um, I'm just like, oh, wait, that. One, one, I can talk about that. And, 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 <laughs> and luckily, I seem to just have worthless knowledge uh, just basically coming out of my pores at any given moment. And so I can probably do, you know, 20, 30, 45 minutes on any random subject, especially film. Yeah. Because that's what my life prepared me to do. Exactly. Mine, too. You're listening to Parental Guidance Suggested, brought to you by Hinson Oakley Family Dentistry. Jane Ellen talking with Adam Cravens about... Movies of note. We've talked about Singing in the Rain. And as I said, the Coen brothers clearly had a love for Singing in the Rain. They made a movie called Hail Caesar. I mean, if you want to look at a couple of directors, well, I mean, they're they're writer-directors. Usually the way they'll do it is one of them will take credit for writing and one of them will take credit for directing. Uh, like, it, 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 it's, it, it's worth looking into if you haven't. But, like, if you want... Two people that have covered a multitude of genres. Mm-hmm. The Coen brothers have done westerns. They've done a musical. Uh, they've done musicals. A brother where out thou is definitely a musical. Yes. Um, you have Fargo. Um, you have the Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. You have uh, they. They have quite the affinity for George Clooney. And why not? I. They're not wrong. Um, it, it's just, it's interesting to look at their filmography because in a lot of cases, besides consistently getting a great cast for it, there's not a, the, uh, lady, was it lady killers? Mm-hmm. Tom, Tom Hanks, like Tom Hanks had just said, I want to work with the Coen brothers. Like 
And he even said that he, he didn't necessarily care what the script was. He just wanted to work with them. Like, if that tells you about the quality or the the esteem that they're held in, somebody like Tom Hanks is just like, oh, yeah, well, I just wanted to work with the Coen brothers. That's That's all I needed. So... What this one is about, it actually came out four years ago, and I remember seeing a trailer for it, and I remember saying, I have to see that. And then in my mind, it just kind of disappeared. And I guess it just didn't get all the acclaim as many Coen Brothers films did, but it is it's probably on either Hulu or Netflix. I watched on one of them earlier today. And the first thing that struck me was how much it was like Singing in the Rain, in that it is... The studio system working, as you saw in Singing in the Rain, going from this genre to this genre to this genre. Only this one had the backdrop of the writers who were blackballed for being communists. Doesn't sound light and funny, and yet. But, I mean, if you'll look at the synopsis for The Big Lebowski, that doesn't really sound light and funny either, but that movie's hysterical. Mm-hmm. So you you start and you don't really realize quite what you're watching. Is it a movie? Is it a movie within a movie? You've got Dumbledore, the second, narrating it. And it is all about Thanos keeping the studio running properly. And sure. I believe that's how it was built. Man, I, 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 almost, <laughs> I almost want to, for some reason, CGI in Thanos. <laughs> just to, like, don't even, don't even make reference to it. Just let that be that. Yeah, that's what is it? Yeah, that's Josh Brolin. That's just how he looks. So you have Josh Brolin is the studio head slash fixer, and in the time of the studio system, the stars didn't make their own decisions, and things had to be fixed. And you're going to be seen in public with this person because it's good for your career. And you had nothing to say about it because you didn't. It was just that way. That was your nine to five. You mm-hmm. you showed up there and, you know, you smiled for the cameras. I, are, I, are the two of you in love? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't be happier. Scarlett Johansson does the most perfect Esther Williams homage. Just, ah. Uh, You've got the Busby Berkeley stuff happening. She's got the facial expressions. Esther Williams, a lovely woman who could sing, but, and this sounds weird, today, anyway, she did musical numbers swimming. It, do, it does It sound does sound strange. weird. Yeah. Yet, they were, you know, lighthearted musical comedies. She's a great swimmer, and... She was lovely and passed the time, and I'm not going to say, you know, any of them were like my favorite, favorite movie, but, oh, that's Esther Williams, and there was a certain style to Esther Williams' films. I mean, films. It, not for nothing, dancing is not all that easy. Dancing in the, like, doing synchronized anything yes. in the water is a lot more difficult than it Seem, like peripherally seems. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I saw the water, I knew it was going to be an Esther Williams thing because I knew who Esther Williams was. And the the lovely part is once she's done filming this, she doesn't sound like you would think this shining beauty would sound like. She's crass. 
she's smoking, and she's pregnant. And the studio needs to find either a husband or they try to work out a thing where she can find a baby for adoption, and it's actually her own baby. Because, you see, she couldn't just have a baby. Which is meant to be kind of a, a parody almost because it sounds so preposterous. But it's not if you look at what studios tried mm-hmm. to do during that, that period. Um, you know, there. if you read a lot about the the studios and what happened to the stars, most of it is not pleasant. I mean, it's in the same way that, like, you protect a brand's name now, like, you know, Pringles or Planters Peanuts or you know, McDonald's or whatever, in the same way that you try to make sure that your brand is protected, mm-hmm. that's that's kind of what they did with the the, the individual stars that they had. Like, it, they even if you had, like, proclivities or things that you're getting into that you shouldn't have, mm-hmm. you're hiding them, and even if, like, you're not with this individual, they're like, well, it would be better. People would like it more if they were in love with this person and the two of them were dating, even yes. if they're not like really, it's just the studio going around going, this is the best possible version of that. And you signed a contract. That's the reality that you're going to, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're going to act this reality because it's best. This is what's going to be best for the studio. So it's, it's much funnier to mention all these people with, the the names that they were in other other shows, much like saying Thanos is the studio head and so on Han, and so forth. Han Solo was the cowboy. Ha, Han Solo's the cowboy. And uh the oh, what is she called in Doctor Strange? The the timekeeper all chick. Her. Oh, the the um the one, not yes. the uh, the ancient one. The ancient one plays Gossip Column Sisters, which, by the way, actually was a thing. Not that all Gossip Columnists were sisters or had them, but nailed it. And you might not recognize her because she's made up to look like a, a woman of, let's say, 1950. Yeah. Frances McDormand, almost unrecognizable, but still... You'll you'll pick up on it. Another Cohen mainstay. Yes. And just, you will recognize people. As a matter of fact, as it started, Jim says, that is, that is, who is that? And I said, Newman. So you're going to recognize a lot of people. And of course it has George Clooney. And when George Clooney does Cohen Brothers stuff, he is never the debonair Cary Grant George Clooney. He just isn't. No, they... Well, I mean, honestly, and I, 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 when I say this, I mean, put upon in kind of a very first world problem kind of way, he's probably tired of that. Probably. Like, when you have looks like George Clooney's for as long as George Clooney has had those looks, yeah. you're probably tired of playing, like, the, the handsome man. The, the handsome, like, debonair man. As an actor, I guarantee you, as many times as he's worked with the Coen brothers, like, they're just like, yeah, sure, if you want to try that, that's fine. Mm-hmm. We're, yeah. We're, so, we're a little offbeat anyways. Who cares? Essentially, George Clooney's character is the big star, and he gets kidnapped, but most people don't know he's kidnapped till the next day, and he doesn't really know where he is woken up in. And it finds out 
He is in a room full of writers, and they're communists. And the leader of the communists is Channing Tatum. Just watch it to see him leap from a boat to the submarine. Just for that. It's I, it's, it's a real unusual movie. Like It is. And, and like I said, and if you're not versed in that era of Hollywood, you may not even get kind of the, yeah, you might the not. references. But like... There the, are many. The performances you're getting... For, like Channing Tatum, like there's a really good chance that like if you're not into like the more like performance oriented, like maybe you saw him in GI Joe mm-hmm. or like, if you like George Clooney, maybe you only saw him in like Batman and Robin or you know, like the Ocean's Peace 11, Man. some of the, yeah, you only saw him in kind of the, like the bigger stuff you are getting to see people do some very unusual, like maybe you only saw Josh Brolin in the Goonies. Mm-hmm. They're kind of, get, they're getting to do things that you would not normally get to see them do mm-hmm. in a a major studio film. Mm-hmm. And I know most people realize that Channing Tatum can dance because he was in Magic Mike, but he can tap dance like nobody's business. He's got flair. Which is not a muscle that a lot of actors or actresses mm-hmm. are asked to. Like, back in the day, if you wanted to be a star, you you really be able better be able to sing and dance. Yeah, you had to be a triple threat. Like, whereas in now, like, you know, depending on what genre, like, genre you're talking about, comedy, you know, drama or whatever, that's not necessarily like a prerequisite. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, oh, you can sing? Wow. Oh, well, that's fun. Neat. We can use that. Sure. I mean, I forget Scarlett Johansson. She can really sing. Or like, I mean, even in some cases, like, I don't even think that, like, I don't think Johnny Depp knew that he could sing before he did Sweeney Todd. I think it was just, oh, yeah, I'll work with Tim Burton. What's this again? Oh, it's a musical. Huh. Hmm. How about that? I should figure out if I know how to sing or not. By the way, Johnny Depp just joined social media the other day. Um, and he's on Instagram. Instagram. Was it? Yeah, yeah. And you just need to watch it just because it looks like he is broadcasting from a cave. And that's really what I have to say. <laughs> as much of the the oddity like just the, in the way the man dresses um say compared to a normal 50 some odd year old man i i'm imagining that there's a lot of strangeness about johnny depp that we haven't been keyed into because whomever was let's say handling him up to mm-hmm. this point is much probably like, like this film they're probably like we probably shouldn't let him just talk off the cuff no um yeah, sure. Be be uh, Jack Sparrow. That's fine. Yes. Um, I don't need you to be updating your Twitter, okay? Yeah, I was going to say, so someone is able to control someone else and keep them off of Twitter. That is fascinating. Well, I'm I'm pretty sure, like, his agent or whomever for years, like, Tom Cruise was like, I want to say this. And they're like, listen, uh, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Um, everybody likes Top Gun and Days of Thunder, but you can't say that. To no one else thinks that, okay? No, but I need to tell. No, 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 you don't. Uh, listen, just um, trust me on this one, okay? And Grace and I were watching Minority Report the other day, which is a good film. I know. And as he's, you know, leaping onto something, moving quickly, she turns to me and said, "I really love Tom Cruise movies. It is a shame he is just a whack job." I mean, I know. If it tells you how much, like, I've been aware for. 
See, when did all that happen? About 16, 17 years ago when it, we really all became well aware of the fact mm-hmm. that, like, he's kind of insane. But that doesn't stop me from going to see every movies. Mission Impossible movie they release. Like, I was ecstatic for Fallout, and I'm like, that man is bonkers. I can't wait to see <laughs> what Ethan, Agent Ethan Hunt does next. I know. I love this. I don't, I don't want him to talk to me, and I, no. I don't want to shake his hand. But my goodness... I will watch him do anything that we have. And I don't want to live next to him. No. no. Well, I mean, I can't afford to. But, but let's say you could. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it'd be that. unusual. But, you know, someone who I think would be fun to live next to. I think George Clooney would be fun to live next to. He, Yeah. I mean, basically, Ocean's 12 is just him throwing a party for right. him and his closest friends. Yeah. Anyway, so back to Hail Caesar. There are a lot of references. There, there are a lot of layers to this that... You may enjoy it more, just like singing in the rain. You may enjoy it more knowing that, oh, they're making fun of this person and they're referencing this event. You don't have to know all that to enjoy the movie. Hail Caesar is definitely quirky. It's at, at, at its very, at its, its basis, it's definitely quirky. Yes. Which is kind of a staple of being a Coen Brothers film anyways. Yes. Uh, it is, however, a Coen Brothers film where... Um, there's no wood chipper. Uh, there's no uh, horrible violence and vengeance. Yeah. It's, it's actually a very family-friendly Coen Brothers, much like O Brother is very family-friendly in as much as Coen Brothers is family-friendly. Yeah. Like, and they're not in a spe- – like, I would probably say True Grit is their most mainstream yeah. film. Like, even something that garnered a lot of – critical acclaim like No Country for Old Men. If you've ever seen that movie, there's some bru- pretty brutal killing in mm-hmm. that 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 film, like especially with uh, uh, Antoine Chigurh, like murdering people with, what is it? It's like a, it's, it, it's some sort of. I actually haven't seen it. Oh, okay. He's. I don't know why. He's killing people. I haven't avoided it. I've just not seen it. It's No Country for Old, you need to be in a certain mindset. Ah. Uh. It, it's some kind of like an like an air loaded. I want to say it's something that they use like to, for for cattle, like whenever you tag Ooh. their ears. Oh. He's killing people with those. Well, that does not sound fun at all. Oh no, and they don't seem to be enjoying it when they get killed. No, well, who would really? Now, uh, in Hail Caesar, my favorite scene, and I did not recognize him. I was thinking, wow, who is that guy? We don't have them now, but there were cowboy stars. One of which was named Roy Rogers. He is not the only one, but probably the one you would know probably the, the best. Probably the most popular. And they they already knew how to ride. They already knew how to do this stuff. And they could sing. And they were pleasant to look at. And they weren't making like hardcore westerns. It was more like a, a Disney version of a western That's a before there was Disney. It. Yeah. And they were just fun. And they were they were movies that they could make quickly and didn't cost a lot, and they became big, big stars. Which is also the reason why westerns were as prolific as they were back mm-hmm. in the day. Like, literally, if you you had you had some horses, you had like you it know, was okay to kill them. And, and you just you <laughs> it's needed, not you needed some like wide open okay. spaces. Yeah, like, you didn't have to pay a lot to create sets. You could use a lot of the same stuff. And because everybody was making Westerns on film and television, mm-hmm. you could reuse a lot of the stuff. Right. So there's that. And I can't think of 
an occasion, though I'm, I know this has happened, like, especially for comedians who then take a serious role, you have the, the star, the singing cowboy, who's pulled off his movie to go and do what looks like a, a Miramax-type film. It's a, it's a drama for which he is totally unsuited for. Oh, and it's... Uh, directed by Voldemort. And... Oh, it's funny. <laughs> oh, it's it, it's one... <laughs> it's pro... And this is my introduction to... Like, previous to seeing Han Solo, when they're just like, this is the new, this is the guy that's going to be Han Solo that isn't Harrison Ford. Like, I go watch this, and I'm just like, well, the guy's not untapped. Like, he's... He is... He's marvelous. He's misperforming it, but he's doing it in character, not because he can't perform it. Like, it's just... There, there's a there's a multiple multiple layers going on in that he is playing this cowboy that can't do it, but he's capable of doing it. But in his character, he has to kind of be just be a buffoon. Is that mm-hmm. kind of a good way to? And the actor learned how to rope. He actually what's it? Uh, he, Alden Ehrenreich. Yes. Yeah. He he took a piece of spaghetti and made it into a lasso. And it worked. You see him, you know, the whole rope circle thing. He got skills that he did not possess prior to this movie. And it's, I've seen real cowboys doing all this rope and stuff. I've actually been roped at a rodeo thing. It's a, it's a real specific skill set. And he does it beautifully. And he's so, so, so funny in it. it. Just, and... Going seeing this really makes me sad that like his Han Solo did not. Take yes, off. I want to see more of him because see I didn't recognize him, and my husband said, "You know who that is?" Like actually, no, I don't. And I'm looking at him and going, "Well, I, he looks vaguely familiar, but I cannot place him." And he's Han Solo. Like if that production had not have had the the muddled production problems, it I'm just it's it, a it's sad that he kind of got his head hung on. The first Star Wars that isn't a resounding, like success that doesn't make a bajillion dollars for everybody involved, and like, mm-hmm. if it had have just been a bad film or he was miscast or he was untalented, maybe I could see all that. But like, I, I liked the actor, um, you know, I liked the film, and it just it makes me sad for him because that very much could have been his, pro- like his projectile to like mega stardom. Trying to see if he's even doing anything now. I really hope he is, because I just enjoyed him immensely. And, okay, he is starring in a TV show, Brave New World, and that is going to be, well, it's sci-fi, obviously, and it's obviously Huxley, but that's going to be where? I don't know. Brave New World. Okay, it's going to be somewhere. Him and Kyle Chandler are two people that I honestly feel like have the chops to be stars, but on a larger level than they they seem. For years, like when when I would watch Ryan Reynolds and something, I'm just like, why is this guy not a superstar? Mm -hmm. And like, I mean, it it finally happened for him 15 years after the fact. But just for like, because I thought whenever he did Green Lantern, I was like, finally. That somebody, they're, they're, people are going to recognize this guy. And then 
Green Lantern was not his ticket to megastardom. Oh, Brave New World is on uh, Amazon Prime. So either they haven't released it or I don't know. Maybe. Well, they did nine episodes. I would, I would, at this point, it seems like if you'd, you'd done nine episodes, this would be the time to, hmm. to filter that puppy out. And it said it was released in 2020. Which but is. But that's now. Huh. Okay. We'll look into that. Anyway, so Hail Caesar is worth your time. And watching it the same day you watch Singing in the Rain. I think you'll find they work together. There, there is definitely some threads that mm-hmm. that carry over between the two of them. So that's that's what's happening. My favorite Coen Brothers is still O Brother, also with George Clooney. But really, really enjoyed Hail Caesar, and I think you should too. And I cannot, I cannot say this enough. I don't care how you feel about musicals. Watch Singing in the Rain. Just watch it. Really, it, even if you do not like musicals, this. This really is the film that kind of operates outside of those parameters. And, like, even if you're not a fan of that genre, it's just a good film, period. Not Mm -hmm. just a good musical. That's right. So thank you, folks, so much for listening to Parental Guidance Suggested. I'm Jane Ellen. And I'm Adam Cravens. So Mm -hmm. on Curb Your Enthusiasm... But that never happened in real life. It's just, it's this weirdly, like, there's very much a border between, like, reality and fiction. And they kind of just pick what they decide they want to be reality and what they want to be fiction. Mm Mm-hmm. So I found it very entertaining. There is language. So it's it's not something for the the young, young. I'll, I, I think it's. It could be rated mature just because of the language used. It's not constant, but I guess you just use one F-bomb, it gets it, I guess. You've got, I think you've got two, at least in film, like you've got, I think, one use of the F-bomb. Okay. Like you have a certain amount that you can use until like it, it crosses the border from PG-13 to R. I would have so, like, put it, this as PG-13, but I lost track. It's funny. Well, it's not. It's okay. Most normal people don't count the curses I, while I they're they're like, hold on, hold on. Let I'm me, not let a me, member of the Hayes Commission. Let, <laughs> let me check my tally sheet. Ooh, we're at six. We are at six. Adam, I made a reference that wasn't from the early aughts. No, that I, I, <laughs> though a lot of people are probably going to have to Google like <laughs> Hayes <that>. Commission. <laughs> like I mean. It's, 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 oh well, we'll have to get the comics authority to do that, so they won't think that they're uh, trying to make uh, trying to make us communists by reading action comics. Like just yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that is on Netflix, and it is funny. I have I've said my piece, and I've counted to three. You're listening to Binger Cringe, brought to you by Hinson Oakley Family Dentistry. Jane Ellen talking with Adam Cravens about what is worth watching on TV, and again. Going to Netflix, because that's where it all started, there are two follow-up shows to The Tiger King. One is produced by TMZ. Already? Already. And the other, I was so excited to watch because, why? Joel McHale. Well, that, I mean, not not for nothing. Joel McHale, like, I've been a fan of since his talk soup days. Yes, I I love everything about Joel McHale and including his 
abnormal height. Yes. Like it's fascinating. He's Conan O'Brien tall. Yes. Which if if you don't both of those men are well over six feet tall. Mm-hmm. So apparently he had this idea to see what was happening to the other people, because in the event you didn't know, to do a reality show, you've got, I would think, a minimum of six or eight months of filming and editing, and that's just get it out there quickly, as opposed to a few years of getting the footage and then putting all of the seasons together and that kind of thing. So these people have moved on with their lives. For instance, Joe Exotic is in jail. He was not interviewed. But other people were. Maybe one of the the latter seasons. uh, They will be. So it is interesting to hear things that the other people had to say that were involved. Carol Baskin did not participate, and unfortunately. But so that was interesting in and of itself. It was not the laugh riot I had hoped it would be because of Joel McHale. His closing credits were the funniest part of the whole show, which totally worth it for me. But it it gives you more information if you have to have more Tiger King. And they said, you know, these things were left out, this and that. There's, I think their name is Safi. I'm not 100%. There's a person in it who, while they were being filmed, loses an arm. So it's not unlike putting together a bunch of outtakes to create, it's like when... No, these are fresh interviews, like done in the past couple of weeks. Well, but there's, you're saying this is like peripheral stuff that didn't get included. It's almost like when like you make too many chicken nuggets or like corn for your kids and like later on in the week, like turns back up. Like maybe maybe now like it's on a sandwich. Yes with, and no. Okay. But these this is during quarantine. These people, it was just like a video chat. And this was very hastily put together. I mean, this did not take much to put together. Well, I would at say all. the lightning that struck with um, Tiger King. Mm-hmm. That's the. I I can't imagine they did. And if really, if all you've got to do is a couple of Zoom interviews, mm-hmm. that probably warrants the the advertising. Yeah. At, at a minimum for it. Yeah, and so that's what you have, and you you do learn some things and one thing that the girls had picked up on like first of all they're talking to a person that i you know how you see a person and your mind goes you know man woman uh my mind had said woman and i the name didn't tell me one way or the other and apparently is now a man but through the tiger series the tiger king series was referred to as she and so joel McHale says i you identify as a male, did this bother you? And she goes, I don't care. She goes, it seemed to bother everybody else. Didn't bother me at all. But because uh, Anna Grace was outraged for him. And it's like, oh, I, di- I didn't catch that. Because I, 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 I thought that was a woman. And then they said she. And so I just thought it was a woman with a short haircut. I just. I've always been amused when people get upset for other people. Like, yes. Just like, well, he I'm wasn't outra- upset at all. And the the individual that you're actually talking about that had it, and they're just like, oh yeah, what? Yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't care. Up. I was I was really kind of fine with it. it didn't didn't bunch my panties at all. <laughs> uh, his boxers. Anyway, his, sorry, please. I apologize. Yes. I'm, I'm I'm outraged for him. And they Her. did. Wait, which it's which, which him, one? Him, okay, him, I'm him. outraged for him. Right. Uh, 
The most horrible stuff coming out about Tiger King, which you may have picked up on, the, the, the nauseating stuff was he killed a lot of these animals. And that's one of the reasons he is in prison, because he would just, you know, get mad at a tiger and shoot it in the head. Just saying those words turns my insides. Yeah. And it's disgusting behavior. So, yeah, that's gross. And so... Joel McHale was saying, like, did that stuff like that, did that really happen? And because apparently in the trial, Joe Exotic would say, oh, the animal was sick, was put down humanely. And others said, I couldn't take it. It, 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 you know, sniffed his foot wrong and he shoots it in the head. And it's like, oh, oh, that, no. To be fair, if I don't want to go to jail and they're like, did you kill it humanely? Or was this just like blind murder? I'm probably going to go with the one that doesn't send me to jail, or, or in my case, just not do things that would send me yes. to jail. Yeah. Yes, and you can see by the footage that was shown where no animals were killed, you can see that there's something amiss with Joe Exotic. I think that is putting it about as <laughs> lightly and yeah. subtly as, as one possibly. Like, I haven't even watched the show and everything about that, like, just makes me go, ah, that's, that's not right. unusual. Just the, like, just to see like some of the coats that he wore, I'm like, this is unusual. Yes, it is. And yeah, I just that's that's really really disturbing. Now, um, TMZ has done something similar. And they also contacted other people and put it together like Joel McHale did. And again, if you need more closure, you're going to find that maybe you'll pick up on something. For instance, in the show, I don't know if, if you call recall, but one of Joe's many husbands kills himself off camera for real. But by accident, apparently he had been given a Luger and he was talking to two other people and it's a security camera footage. And so you see the two other people and apparently he was saying, oh, no, a, a Luger can't fire it with, without a clip in it. And as soon as he says that, he puts it up to his head and fires it and kills himself. And, and they spoke with the guy that was looking at him at the time, which how horrific is that? I mean, and they said, you know, was he planning to kill himself? He goes... I could tell he was surprised when the gun went off. And, I mean, how horrible is that to have to, yeah. To relive. Yes. The, yeah. Yes. And so you'll get things like that. They, I I want to say the TMZ show talked to Dr. Phil, who who did say that Joe Exotic was a narcissist. Huh. I did not pick up on that. And he. I think, I think anybody could see that from like. Mm. A stadium away, like from him. Everyone's asking about Carol Baskin and did she kill her first husband? And was Joe really going to go kill her? I think it was Dr. Phil. I could be wrong, but somebody certainly said they didn't think he was really going to kill her. They just thought he said that a lot. However, there is footage of him actually soliciting someone to kill her so i guess he was gonna follow through but if you take a lesson away from any of this kids don't go around saying that you want to kill someone um yeah i mean i guess unless you really do but just keep in mind that like 
going out and saying that is probably going to point a finger toward you in the event that it ever happens. Yes. Those, those are the kind of feelings like we really shouldn't share. Um, and maybe we shouldn't do things like that. I mean, just at, at, at a minimum. Yeah, kind of. shouldn't. Yeah. Really, just don't, just don't do it. So the point is, if you need it, there is more information. And I'm not going to say there is another episode of Tiger King, but there's a little bookend stuff that you can find that is new as of the past two or three weeks. Kind of kind of feels almost like special features on a DVD. Yes. Kind yes. Of that. It's it's not it's not another movie, but like if you're interested in that, this is delving a little bit deeper into that world if you're interested. Mm-hmm. And what was nice to hear from the other people was that even the guy that lost his arm, they were there for the animals. And uh, Joel McHale asked him, well, who would you trust more, the tiger that bit you or or um, Joe, Exotic. Joe Exotic? And she said, he said, uh, the tiger that bit me? <laughs> so, huh. I really hope I'm never in a position that I have to answer a, a question like that. Yeah. And apparently that... Maybe it wasn't a tiger bite. I think it was more of a swat, and it's just that the paws were so massive. It, it just it mangled this person's arm where it couldn't be saved. It wasn't like, oh, there's your hand, nom, nom, nom. It was more like a batting about, and it just kind of shredded it. I'd say it's like if a grizzly bear plays with you. Yeah. Like, grizzly bears don't really have to be, like, intentional, uh, intentional about wanting to hurt you. Mm-hmm. You really just shouldn't mess with grizzlies. Like it's a bad idea. Like they're they're strong. They they have claws. And if they decide, even if they're just playing with you, you you can probably get mauled pretty easy. Mm-hmm. And you do get to hear uh, um, Doc Antle say some stuff, saying things like, "I don't have five wives at the same time. I had one woman." who I was married to, who had my oldest children, and I haven't been married since. But I have girlfriends at the same time. So he in the show, it kind of came out that he might have had four or five sister wives, kind of, and they all had kids with him or something. Anyway. Still, it doesn't seem like... <laughs> That doesn't seem like a good justification. Like, no. you know, when you're like, oh, no, 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 it's a, it's okay, I did this. And they were just like, well, that's not any, that's really not any better. Right, but it... Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but you are kind of saying that that's your situation. Yeah. Whatever. Like, you're not, you're not denying it, and you're just, you're like, oh, no, well, it's not, it's not as bad as you think it is. Uh, and for those who love the TikTok, as I know you do, um... It is Doc Antle's son who has the long hair and loincloth and runs around with tigers like Tarzan. I don't remember the name of the account, but I saw it because like, oh, that is a young man, like 20-ish maybe, and there he is with tigers. Huh. That seems like the kind of stupid idea that I would have and I would like ruminate about it, but then never do anything about it because I knew it was stupid. Like, you know how, like, you and I will joke about it and be like, you know, it'd be great if we did this. And then we're like, (laughs) but then, like, we don't do it when we go outside of this room Mm -hmm. because we're like, oh, that's dumb. We shouldn't do that. Yeah. And Doc Antle did say that uh, you were left with the impression after watching 
the Tiger King that once the Tiger Cubs were over six months, they were destroyed because it would cost to feed them and you could no longer have someone pet them because they were too large. And so there was no point in keeping them. And he said they do not breed at his place. They do not breed big cats for the purpose of selling the opportunity to pet them. But if there are young cats on his preserve, then yes, you can pay to pet them. That that seems like a denial, but not a denial. And and he says any animals that were born and raised on his place are still there. On his. And I hope they are, because that made me sick as well. Sick and angry all at the same time. So, and they didn't, neither show, Jill McHale's or TMZ's, gave me the information I really wanted was, where are all the other animals? I know that about 37 of them are in this one place in Oklahoma or something, and they're all fine and happy, whatever. Early, it's happy. But there were over, there were almost 300 of them. So, And it seems like having 230 tigers unaccounted for is a yeah. is a bad thing. So they're accounted for somewhere, but because there have not been a lot of stories about where they are, I am suspecting that they are simply not anymore. And not anywhere. Yes. Yeah. And that also makes me very sad and disturbed. So yeah. Again, if you haven't seen Tiger King, it is fascinating. It is also hard to watch and disturbing. I can see, yeah. 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 So there's that. Anyway, I have plenty of time to watch more stuff for next week. That's yeah, there's a lot of a lot of time. There's a well, I mean, I don't have a lot of time. But like I mean, there 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 is a lot of time and I would say like Netflix, Hulu, you know, CBS All Access, uh, and whatever else are definitely making sure to fill up all manner of entertainment opportunities out there. And I can't say enough. I love the late night shows being done from home. I just love it. Uh, I th- Kate Blanchett was on with, I don't recall. It, it was either Colbert or Conan. It was one of the C's. And, you know, and they were talking about just how it was to be a guest on the show in this situation of, yeah. you know, I'm here on this computer and you're there on that computer. And she said, well, it's actually quite nice for me. <laughs> like, I don't have to do anything but be here at this time. And I don't have to fly anywhere. I mean, yeah, it's just, she says, it's actually is great it's really, for me. It's really killed the commute, you know, for me. So... Like what somebody posted the other day, they said, I've started sleeping on my couch to shorten my morning commute. And I, was just <laughs> like, I was like, that's good. That's good. I, don't, I don't remember who said it, but it, yeah. it did make me laugh. That is funny. So I, I've, been, I've really enjoyed that. But I think it's because I feel those people are my friends. And I always want to know what John Mulaney's doing. Well, and it's kind of interesting to see them in that. It really is. Like normally you get to see, you know, there you're, you know, on in a studio, well lit, like you're, you're in your suit, like you're all made up, like you've got a band, like you have this very like over rehearsed monologue. 
you're really kind of getting to see a side of, like mm-hmm. I would I would have loved to have seen like if this had have happened during like the Johnny Carson oh, era. Yeah. <laughs> like, can you imagine? How interesting would it have been to see like that side of Johnny Carson? Like it just it, it you because this is not like a window that normally people get to see like opened or that you mm-hmm. kind of get to see an extended view of. And to just to have the dogs interrupt or to have the kids run on, it's just funny. And, and it's sh- humanizing. Really to show you that like, you know, Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel or like any of them really have not necessarily the same problems that we all do, but they have some of the similar problems. In Seth Myers and Fallon are making me remember quite vividly what it was like when my girls were the age of their kids. Because Seth Myers has two young boys. I want to say like two and four-ish, something like that. They're under five. And, and those kids probably have absolutely... Yeah, they have no clue. They have no idea that their father like has like a very exclusive gig on late night. And it's funny because there's no respect. And uh, Jimmy Fallon's kids are just hilarious because they are completely unaware of what's happening they're oblivious uh, you know to what their father is the what the situation's going on in the world it's just dad's making a goofy video on his phone or something or or even to see like the indifference from their wives that they're so they're just like uh wrap it up honey okay just so funny I've, i've I've gotten them to DoorDash this house. <laughs> I'd like to eat it. I, I get that you're doing like the Tonight Show, but I'm hungry. Okay. Stephen Colbert was talking about his Easter, and apparently they live near his in-laws, like maybe a few streets away. So they walked over and mowed their lawn and did yard work for Easter, and like waved at him through the window. It's like, which is exactly what you would do for your older parents. And it's also very funny. <laughs> it just just so happens this happens to be Stephen Colbert. Yes. So, you know, it was funny. So uh, I, I'm really enjoying those. I find because of this I'm watching far more YouTube. But anyway, what we actually talked about was uh, new on Netflix. Hash- I guess it's hashtag you say that because that's how it's printed. It's hashtag Black AF. Yeah. And the, the bookends to... Netflix's Tiger King one is grouped under Tiger King. It'll probably show up like episode eight. The other one is a TMZ production showing up as, I don't know, TMZ Tiger King or something. Funny enough, like to show how like the cultural lexicon has shifted. There was a van in front of me the other day and it had hashtag one nine three four. And I was like, why the heck would anybody hashtag that? And then I just went, wait, that probably means number 1934. It doesn't want me to look anything up on Twitter. No. That's they were not hashtagging that number. They were just saying that's a number. Um or maybe it weighed 1000 uh 300 yeah. I I really think it was just to denote that like it, as far as like this fleet was concerned, that's like number 1934. And, okay. And it was just but for 30 seconds, my head is like, why would you hashtag that? That's I know. Silly. Like, what? <laughs> it doesn't have, like, hashtag FedEx or, like, hashtag anything else with it. Why would you? Oh, oh it's a it's number. It's, a just, number. it's just a number. That's all it is. Okay. Anyway, thank you for listening to Binger Cringe. I'm Jane Ellen. And I'm Adam Cravens. 
You've been listening to Parental Guidance Suggested. Download your favorites and keep up with new episodes in the Hints and Oakley Podcast Center. 